have your Bibles, will you join me this morning in the book of Colossians? Colossians chapter 2 is where we are. We've been making our way verse by verse through this marvelous book of the Bible. And as you're turning there to Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, we recall from last week, we just had two verses, verses 16 and 17, and the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to this church in a little town called Colossae, and remember he's dealing with false teachers um, that are kind of infiltrating their way into the church, and they're trying to get God's people to revert back to the Old Testament practices and follow the rules and the regulations of the uh, ceremonial law, and we talked about that last week. The law that, that God gave Israel before Christ, not the moral law, but the ceremonial law that dealt with, um, you know, food they could eat or not eat that would make them clean or unclean, the sacrifices and the Sabbath day we talked about. And, and But the scripture lets us know that we have no need to go back to those things. We're set free from them because Jesus fulfilled all of that. Remember we talked about that? That those things were a foreshadowing of Christ, but when Christ came, he's the reality. So don't go back to just the shadows, but live in the reality of Jesus. Hmm. So if these people went back to the shadows, then what would happen is that Christ would be of no value to them. They'd miss the main reality. They're going backwards in their faith. And this is ultimately what the demonic purpose is behind false teaching. Really all false teaching. is The enemy wants to take our focus off of Jesus and the gospel and put it onto other things. And that's what the devil was trying to do through these false teachers 2,000 years ago in a church in a little place called Colossae. And he's still trying to do it all the time, even in our day and age. Well, this morning, as we continue on verse by verse, we'll see that our passage continues to talk about these false teachers that are trying to get into the church and all their weird and wacky and crazy teachings that are, that are going on. And Paul's warning them to be careful and not give in to these lies, these deceptions that the false teachers are peddling and keep their focus on Jesus, on the gospel. And not be, as he says here in the letter, disqualified for the prize. So it's serious business. So as we read our passage this morning, will you guys stand with me out of reverence for God's word? And we'll read our passage this morning. So Colossians 2, starting at verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. And he has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 So I love about reading, the, studying the Bible like this, verse by verse. Those are some passages you might read and go, oh, okay. And then you just keep reading because you're not really sure what, what's going on there, right? So I want to dig in, talk about this uh, this morning. 
It forces me to when you go verse by verse. I have no choice. This is what's next, so we got to talk about it. <laughs> so I love it. It's a good challenge. It's good stuff, and God speaks. So verse 18 is where we're starting there. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. So we see these false teachers that are trying to get into the church of Colossae, um, they're, they're teaching more than just go back to the ceremonial law, though that's, that's bad enough. But they're into some very strange stuff. They're into this mystical, angelic experiences, these visions of angels. The Revised Standard Version says that they are taking their stand on visions, where the NIV says uh, they went into great detail about what they had seen. So these guys, are they're experiencing it. There's a spiritual thing there. It's experiencing these visions, these encounters with angelic beings. And, and uh, they're coming to the church talking about it. And they're spiritually proud. What does the scripture say? They're puffed up with this, this false pride over what they're experiencing. And I imagine they think they're quite superior to the regular Christian, you know, who's like just reading his Bible and praying and trying to love God and turn from sin and obey Jesus and feed his family, you know? And then here comes these guys into the church who are having these angelic encounters looking like they're superior, um, spiritually elite above all the other people. Hmm. Hey, if you really want to know God, you got to do more than just like read your Bible and pray and stuff and obey. You need to you need to be talking to angels. And even as Paul talks about it here, it's ultimately some type of angelic worship. So this is serious business here. This is a problem. But if you don't know the Bible, and that's why Paul is writing to them. They don't have the New Testament like we do. He is writing the New Testament to them. They could get caught up in who knows what kind of thoughts. And so can we. So if we know the scripture, then we can go, wait a second. No, no, no I'm not going there. That's not right. So ultimately, what they're peddling is idolatry. The worship of anybody besides the one true and living God is the worship of an idol of some sort, and that's what's happening. Can you imagine somebody coming in to say, this congregation? And they're boasting and bragging about their angelic encounters and experiences, and they're peddling idolatry and worship of these angels? Can you imagine that coming into this little congregation? Well, that's what was happening 2,000 years ago. The, the church was a baby, so to speak, right? It was just blooming. Hmm. And the devil was attacking right away, right away. And then these people are trying to coerce the church into joining them and, and to believe these lies. The truth of God has to be protected. We have to preach it, we have to teach it, we have to live it, and we have to know our Bibles. That's why you read your Bible at home. That's why we go through the Scripture here on Sundays. Because deceptions come along. In chapter 2, verse 4, Paul said they had fine-sounding arguments. Mm, there's a lot of that in our world. Well, that sounds good, right? <laughs> there's a lot. In, in, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says they were hollow and deceptive philosophies. So it's a philosophy, but it's, it, there's nothing in it. It's hollow. It'll leave you just worthless, right? It's not going to save your soul. So the devil is constantly peddling lies and deceptions and fine-sounding arguments in the church and out of the church. That's what he does. He's a liar and a deceiver. So I just will say, if somebody comes into our congregation and they're spouting all kinds of things that are unbiblical and kind of trying to get people to go along with them, uh, let me know about it if I somehow don't know. 
And maybe you should tell them, hey, that's not right. <laughs> we'll get together and talk to the board members. We'll, we'll have a meeting, let me tell you. And I will lovingly and carefully deal with the situation because we can't have people coming in deceiving anybody. That, that's for sure. But I will say a congregation, though, who spends year after year just going through the Bible is probably going to be really hard to deceive. Right? They come in acting all crazy and with this nonsense, you're going to be like, I don't think we've read that in the Bible. Let me, let me oh, no, it's not there. Hmm. So important that we know the word. And that's why the apostle is writing. I bet when he heard this, he started writing quick. <laughs> it's a quick letter. Get it off to these people so they don't get deceived. Serious business. So they don't get disqualified from the prize. Their soul's on the line. And people can be fooled. The devil's really good at what he does. But God is greater. God is greater. Let's notice here the first deception that the false teachers, I'm sorry, the first um, description of, of these false teachers peddling their deception. Verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility. All right. That's their first description. Oh, they look humble, but they're not. False humility. I, that, that term has just been flying around my little brain. I've been praying about it. And we've talked quite a bit about humility over the weeks and months and years throughout the scripture as we get to it. Because humility and pride are big, they're big topics, right? We have to be humble. Humble before God and before other people. But I'm not sure we've ever approached it from the idea of false humility, other than maybe when we spoke about Pharisees and guys like that that looked humble but really weren't. Now this could be something, and we're not sure, uh, connected to the angelic worship. Because they could come at it from this angle, just a guess here, but they're like, hey, we're so humble and lowly. We, we're just so humble, we can't even go to God. No, we can't even go to Jesus. So we go to angels and we pray to them and they'll intercede for us because we're just so humble. We, we, just, we just can't go to God, right? And people are like, oh, well, that is, that's humble. Maybe I'm prideful. I've been talking to Jesus all this time, right? <laughs> Who knows? It could be something like that. And they're peddling this deep humility that we go to these angels to intercede for us. But then again, if you know your scripture... That's unbiblical, right? There's only one mediator between us and, and God. That's Jesus. So you don't need to go talking to angels to give your prayers to God. That's a bunch of nonsense. And you don't need to go to Mother Mary, nor the saints of the Catholicism as well, right? There's no need for that. Jesus opened the door. He tore the curtain so we can go in by the shed blood of Christ and have direct access to the beloved Father through Jesus, right? But yet these people are peddling themselves as so humble. And but but false humility, it's it's a deception. It's like a, a thin veneer of piety, of of godliness covering over deep and heavy pride in a life. Oh, have we ever been there? Hmm. I think we have. I think we can get there. My dad, uh, he's got this cool clock. We got it when, we, when I was a kid in high school, I think. It was my great-grandfather's. It's ancient. It's really old clock. You wind it, and, and it's beautiful. It's tiny, and it's super, super old. It still works. It's really neat. We were surprised, though, because it had a veneer. We thought, I, I thought that was a newer thing, you know? But apparently veneers have been around a really long time. We could tell because it was peeling up off the edges of the clock. I don't know if you know what a veneer is, but basically it seems like it's a, it's a decorative, more costly, more beautiful wood that they seem to cut very, very thin. And I don't think they glue it or what, but they stick it on top of this very thin layer of beautiful wood. They, they cover over a lesser wood. 
You know, something, you know, kind of burly or whatever, but not so good to look at, maybe. So there's this, this thin, beautiful covering over something that's not really all that great, a cheaper wood, probably. And this is okay when it's your clock, when it's your furniture, but it's not so good if it's your soul. And you have a thin veneer of humility, and it covers over deep pride in the heart, right? Hmm. A false humility, where we might look a little good on the outside, but inside, that heart is arrogant and superior and prideful. Hmm. I think it's a trap. The Pharisees fell into it, and they were, the, they were the religious of the religious. They were in the church, so to speak. So church people can totally fall into this. It's called hypocrisy, right? Jesus called them out. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You're, you're clean on the outside, but you're dirty on the inside. He said, clean the inside first. Clean the heart. Confess your sins to God. Surrender to Jesus, and then you'll be clean on the inside and the outside. But we, but we can put on a front because we say, hey, I know I'm supposed to be humble because, you know, the pastor keeps saying that and something in the Bible about it. And I know it's really ugly if I'm super prideful, so I better not do that. I, I better try to be humble, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be humble. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to clothe myself in humility. But here's the problem. If it's a self-induced humility that I create, create on my own that doesn't come from dying to myself and now living for Jesus. Look at verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world. So if I try to do it myself without really dying to me and surrendering all I have to Jesus, and it's just my own creation of humility. Oh, it's going to, uh, that humbleness is going to be like, it's going to be thin, right? It's going to be skin-deep humility covering over a heart that beats full of pride. Hmm. A veneer, if you will. I might do a couple humble things. I might say a few humble things. But I got selfishness on the inside, ruling and reigning. Right? I think we know about that. I use the word superior because that's how I feel when the temptation comes to be prideful and be puffed up. I feel superior. I started walking to Walmart the other day to get who, whatever I was getting, and I started feeling superior than the people that were going to be in Walmart. What is wrong? What is going on? It was a temptation. I said, No, absolutely not. I humble myself. Jesus, take that away. And like the old song says, I pour contempt on all my pride. I hate it. Take it away. No, no, no. I walk humbly into Walmart and everywhere else I got to go. Because the devil's there and there's temptations and it can well up and puff up. So that superiority, the selfishness, the pride. False humility. Mm. If, it's not, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves with that veneer. So we got to keep checking our souls, checking our hearts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. All right? See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, Lord. I, gotta, I can't have that pride, Lord. It's no good. Hmm. That's why you keep pursuing Jesus every day, every day, every day. And we let the Word of God judge us. You, you do. That's, you ever feel, come to church feel a little judged? Oh, it's the Bible, right? It's good. It's healthy for us. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that God, the Word of God is living. You want to check that out for your notes. Hebrews 4.12. 
But the, the Word of God is living and active. It's, it's, it's alive and it penetrates soul and marrow, joints and, uh, and spirit, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. So when it judges us, then we have to conform unto God's will and say, okay, Lord, I'm not doing it right. Uh, forgive me, Lord. So if we're going to let the Word of God judge us, part of my job is to facilitate some of that. So how's your humility today? Hmm. Oh, I knew he was going to ask that. That's all right. I've been looking at my humility all week. I was at Walmart, remember? i got to ask myself before I ask anybody else. But is it a thin veneer? Or maybe your humility is getting a little thicker as you're growing and maturing in Christ. But what we want is a humility that isn't this deep. We want it to go saturate down into the soul, right? Into the bones, into the marrow, into the place where it affects our thoughts and our motives. Mm. When we feel the pride rising up, we say, "Uh uh-uh, no, give me strength, Jesus. I don't want that in my life. Hmm. We need a, a life-altering humility. Hmm. Yes, Lord. Continually growing. Micah 8, 9 for your notes. Micah 8, 9 says, What does the Lord require of you but to love mercy, uh, to walk justly, or to love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with your God? Right? Humble. That's what God requires. Humility with God and with others. Some things, oh, I'm so humble with God, but not so much with other people. That doesn't work. Right? <laughs> it has to be others as well. Hmm. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us. Verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, let's not be like those false teachers, and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Wow. These guys are worshiping angels. I tell you, if you worship anybody but the one true and living God, it's a disqualification. That's what he says, right? Worship of angels, don't let them disqualify you for the prize. You start worshiping other things besides God, that's a disqualification. Paul talks about the Christian life like running a race. He says at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight. I've Finish the race. I've kept the faith, right? And he gets the crown of righteousness. Now he's going to be with the Lord and the prize inheritance forever. But it's like running a race. But you can get disqualified in a race, right? If you cheat, they say, no, you're, you're out. But if you start worshiping angels or anything other than the one true God, that's a disqualification from the race. You haven't kept the faith and you won't get the reward. It's idolatry, as I mentioned earlier. First two commandments out of the ten. First one is, have no other gods besides me, the Lord said, right? Second one is, have no idols. These guys are breaking those commands as they're worshiping angels, probably along with God, I would assume. So don't, don't fall into that deception. Well, I can worship this and God. No, no. You can't, you can't worship your bank account and God at the same time, right? You can't. So whatever, whether it's an angel or your bank account or whatever, I don't know, but we can't worship other things and become idolaters. No other gods. Hmm. Notice once again that the demonic plan behind uh, these false teachings is to get people 
their focus off of Christ and the gospel of Jesus that saves them and onto other things like angel encounters. Okay? Even though that's kind of, read your Bible, there's a few angel encounters. Satan will take even something that's biblical and twist it and mess with it and, and get people off track. He is so sneaky. And he doesn't really care how he gets you off track as long as he gets you off track and not looking at Jesus. He's creative and he's not picky. As long as you're not focused on, on Christ, he's winning. Now I'm going to mention a few things. Every time I do this, somebody always gets slightly agitated. That's okay. I think in this world, there's some deceptive things even in the churches. A lot of those TV preachers, I'm sure there's some that are fine. I don't know. I don't know them all. But a lot of them are into this health and wealth and prosperity gospel thing. And it's not about the cross of Jesus. It's not. They have other things going on because it's derailing people and sidetracking them. They like to tickle the ears of the people. People love to have their ears tickled. You just tell me what I want to hear. And I'll do I think you're great. Huh. Often people are preaching that godliness is a means to financial gain. Hmm. Can you imagine? That God's plan for your life is wealth. Yeah. Or health. Huh. Oh, God heals. Ask him for it, sure. But I tell you, Jesus didn't just die on the cross so you could just be like, not get a cold for the rest of your life. He died on the cross so your sins could be washed away. And you could be in heaven forever with him, right? There's a greater thing going on here. And we live in a fallen world and you're going to get sick sometimes. And you know what? Everybody's going to die. So your name is Enoch and Elijah. Or you're a part of the rapture, right? Other than that, we're going to get sick and die eventually. So you can't tell me that it's always God's plan that you have health. There's a guy I heard, his name was Scrivener. I don't know if you ever heard of Scrivener. I think his name was Thurman Scrivener. But anyway, I ran across him this week. He wrote a book about how it's God's plan that you always be healthy. He, apparently he never gets sick. And, and you can always have perfect health in, in, in God, in Christ. But my Bible doesn't tell me that. But I tell you, it'll sell. It'll sell. The whole name it and claim it. I proclaim the words, they become a reality. You got the Joel Olsteins of the world and these types of things, and they sell a lot of good, well, they sell a lot of books. And people can get derailed into that, but do you hear these guys talking about sin and repentance and obedience to God? I haven't heard it. Now, maybe they, you know, the best lie always has a little truth in there anyway, so maybe they sprinkle it occasionally. I don't know. I haven't listened enough to them of it because I can't handle them too much, but, but people love that stuff. You can tell me I can get wealthy and healthy? Maybe I'll get better looking. I don't know. Sign me up. I'll buy your book. But if you tell me I have to repent and stop my sin, well, I don't like that so much. Because I want to keep that and be healthy, wealthy, and good looking. And then we got another group. I would call them, I don't know if this is a, a real term or not, I would call them the hyper-charismatics. I don't mean just the regular Pentecostals. I, I, I pray throughout the week with several pastors from Pentecostal churches in town. I know their hearts and they're, they're lovely men who love Jesus. But there's another group that I don't know that we have any here in town, but we've got some in Reading, in Bethel, and probably a lot of other churches all over the nation that I would call a hyper-charismatic group. And I think we've got problems. And if you listen to them, what are they peddling? Healings, miracles, signs, and wonders, and prophecies. Healings, and miracles, and signs, and wonders, and prophecies. And not that those aren't biblical, 
But if that's all you ever concentrate on, then you lose focus on the cross of Jesus. And this is a problem. And some of these folks who act like they're, they're drunk or high on the Holy Spirit, I don't know if you've ever heard of that kind of stuff. They're slurring their words and they're supposed to, they're blaming all this on the Spirit of God. Don't blame stupid things on the Holy Spirit, please. People do that in these type of hyper-charismatic churches sometimes. All kinds of strange behavior and the kicking and the jerking and barking like animals and all kinds of strange and bizarre things and they say it's of the Holy Spirit. I say it's not. The Bible says that's not. Now, please don't mistake me. God heals, and we should seek it. God does miracles, and we should expect them more. Let's have faith. Read your Bible, right? Absolutely. Let's just go what the Bible has to say. There are tongues, there are prophecies. Yes, so sometimes we see all these crazy wackadoodles doing some very strange things, and we want to pull so far the other way that we deny them some of these things that are a reality in the Scripture, of course. So we want to be careful. We want to be balanced. But I tell you, the devil doesn't care. What gets you sidetracked? And if you are consumed with healing and healing and healing and this and just the spiritual gifts, then boy, you're going to slip away from what it really means to repent of your sins and follow after Jesus. Because you're going to be stuck in another place and you could become disqualified for the prize. Wow, the devil's tricky. So we want to keep focus on the gospel. That's what I love about going by verse by verse and sticking with the scripture because all I can do is preach the Bible, right? Huh. Faith in Christ. Let's just, let's just stay right there, huh? Let's stay at the cross where Jesus dead, died and bled for our sins. Let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus and life ah, that he gives now and forever. Let's talk about sin and how we need to leave it alone. Repent. Keep turning from it. Let's talk about the forgiveness of God that cleanses your soul and your conscience. Yeah. Let's talk about righteousness and holiness and obedience to God in heaven and hell and living a Christ-like life that honors God all your days. Let's talk about victory over sin by the blood of Christ. Hmm. What would church be without those things, right? That's what happens. You get on these peripheral things, even if they, they might be a biblical thing, and you, you, you miss the things I just mentioned, where would you be, right? Where would the church be? And that's where I'm afraid some churches have gone. And this is what was trying to happen in the church of Colossae uh, 2,000 years ago. Let me read to you a second. Uh, Timothy 4.2. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul gives a command to Timothy as he's off being a pastor. Every pastor reads this passage and hopefully takes it to heart. I have many times. He told Timothy this, he said, preach the word, the Bible, the word of God. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct the people, rebuke the people, encourage the people right? with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Wow. 2,000 years ago, Paul told that to Timothy in the church. And it's still going on today. So if we stick with the word, we're going to be okay. Verse 18, the second half there, talks about these people and all their angel worship and the false humility. It says, such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen, and they're unspiritual. Notice that unspiritual, though they think they are. Their unspiritual mind puffs them up, right, with that pride, and with idle notions, just craziness. He has lost connection with the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So as these false teachers are peddling their angelic experiences and so forth, they're going into great details. How's that? They're going to tell you all about these encounters and these visions, and they're really bragging and they're boasting, and they're all puffed up. And again, just think if you're just like a regular Christian, you're just like, well, I'm trying to read my Bible and pray and love God and you know, stop sinning. And this guy comes in, and he's like talking about his angelic visions, and you're like, what? You must be amongst the spiritual elite. I think I should follow. You have a book I could read, right? I'll buy it. <laughs> because it looks kind of super spiritual, doesn't it? Because I'm by you, but I haven't had too many angelic visions. My mom had one one time, but it was pretty biblical. But some people got some that is not. Because the normal guy's like, well, I haven't had too many angels visit me. Maybe I should listen to this fella. Paul's warning them, don't listen to them. They're puffed up and they're arrogant and they're deceiving you. In verse 19, here's the deal. They have lost connection to the head. The, the body of Christ in, in, in the scripture, we're like hands and feet and toenails and things like that of Jesus, right? On earth. <laughs> but he's the head. He's the boss. He tells us what to do. But if you've lost connection with Jesus, the head, then you're just like a finger wandering around over there. What are you doing? I don't know. You're being crazy, probably. That's why they are as they are. Hmm. Boy, if you become disconnected with Jesus, you can become, but yet still be a religious person. You can be guilty of all kinds of wackiness. Boy, you can go all kinds of crazy. And it's been going on for a long, long time since Paul wrote to this church. Angels seem to be an interesting thing that people get all kinds of weird about. Hmm. In the church and outside the church. I'm not sure why, maybe. They just, I don't know. Well, I do know why, and I'll tell you part of it here in a second. Okay, an angel, they are a creation of God, remember? God made them. He created, in fact, more specifically, at the beginning of Colossians, we learned that Jesus made them. He made all the visible and invisible authorities and the powers. So Jesus created all of the angels. Remember, they're spirits. They have no body. That's called non-corporeal, if you want that word. So they, uh, they can appear and do things in our world, but they have no body. They're their spirit. They work for God, and they also work for us. Hebrews 1.14 talks about them as ministering spirits sent to uh, minister to those who uh, inherit eternal life. So they're like on our side, if you will. And if we got our math right, it looks like two-thirds of the holy angels are working for us and with God, and a third of them fell, though. So there was a group, Satan, and he deceived a bunch of other angels, and they got all sinful and prideful in heaven, and God said, "Uh uh-uh, and he kicks them out. You don't get to do that here. And now they're on earth, and what are they doing? They want to get back to God, or get back at God. They cannot, because he's God. But they try to harm us and keep us away from focusing on Jesus. That's their, 
their desire. That's what the demons and that's what Satan are up to, to deceive us, to keep us away from God. So you have these wicked class of angels, but then you got the holy class of angels who love God and work for God's people. Now when we pray, surely God uses his angels in all kinds of unforeseen ways. I wish sometimes he'd roll back the heavens and be like, ooh, that'd be cool, right? But if he really wanted us to see it, he'd let us see it. And often he doesn't. We get a little glimpses in scripture. A few people might, you know, have a few moments. Like I said, my mom, she found an angel one time. But for the most part, yeah, it's an unseen situation. The word uh, angel actually technically means just messenger. We see them doing that in the Bible, right? Appearing to say, uh, like, Mary, oh, Jesus is going to be in your womb. Yeah, you're just a virgin. Uh, you're going to need an angel to tell you that, right? Absolutely. And to Joseph as well. So we do see those, those announcements sometimes, but this wasn't every other day. Look, if you read the whole Bible over thousands and thousands of years, how many angelic visitations were there really? Just a few, right? Just a few. But God certainly brings them into our world at times. But I will say, nine times out of ten, it would seem that when an angel appears to someone, what does the person immediately do? <laughs> right? And the angel has to say, fear not. Right? Don't be afraid. That's the common line. He's like, oh, okay, it's pre-recorded. I'll just say it when I visit this guy, right? Why? Because the people are, this doesn't happen. We're scared to death. It's not normal. <laughs> These false teachers are talking about their angelic encounters, bragging and boasting about it, and apparently they're worshiping them in some measure. Here's a question for you. Do you think a holy angel of God, whom they claim to be connected with, were these holy angels put up with these men worshiping them? Not for a second. Not for, they slap them on the head and say, knock it off, worship God. How do I know that? Because one of them practically did that to the Apostle John. Remember in the book of Revelation? Poor John, we're going to cut him some slack. He was a little overwhelmed. God came to him. He used this angel. He got to see an unveiling of Jesus and things to come. I can't even imagine what poor John was going through. And in the end, he's like, I got to worship. And there was the angel. And I think he, he, he knelt down. And he says this in, in Revelation 19.10, At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do it. Okay, he didn't slap him on the head, but he said, don't do it. I'm a fellow serving with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So he straightened him out right away. Holy angels aren't going to put up with that. So these guys then, who claim that they're worshiping angels, and of the holy variety, no doubt, is what they're claiming, can't actually be doing that. Because a holy angel would say, uh-uh. So what's really going on here? Well, either they're just delusional liars, or, or and, <laughs> they're not worshiping holy angels. Hmm. I think that's what's happening. Oh, they're worshiping angels, all right. They're just not the holy variety. Because if you go to worship a demon, he's going to accept that worship, absolutely. Because he's going to get you sidetracked, right, onto worshiping something other than God. Oh, he'll be more than happy to take your worship. 2 Corinthians 11.14, if you want that for your notes, 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that the devil can appear as an angel of light. He can deceive. So he can look like a holy angel. So if you ever get visited by a holy and beautiful angel, this is of God, and they give you something that's totally unbiblical, that's of the devil. Right? I didn't guess what's happening here, but these guys are now deceived and becoming the deceivers. So demons can pretend to be holy angels. Wow. And people can be misled. And I fear that this is happening today, and of course has been all along. 
in the church and out of the church, think of the New Age religions. And I don't know a lot about them, but oh, there's a lot of meditation and things like that. And what comes to them? A spirit guide will come to them right, to help them in their life. And he looks pretty nice, I'm sure. A lovely little angel. Yeah, that's an evil. It's really happening, by the way. It, it's really happening. It's just really demonic. Okay? Mm. It's really of the devil. I want to stay away from all that kind of nonsense. And, and this is a little bit different. But even Native American... Uh, uh, religions, the whole totem pole thing, and those those are animals. The totem animals are spirit animals. They're spirit guides that come. I know a woman who told me her spirit animal was this bear, and yada yada. I'm visits her and stuff, and that's an evil spirit masquerading as an animal, not an angel of light. But still, they're very tricky. We want to be careful because people can have spiritual experiences but totally be deceived by the devil. Then I fear that even in the church, this can happen. I'm about ready to insult a whole lot of people. Probably not too many of you, but we'll see. But how else could you explain appearances of Mother Mary? Hmm. When Mary comes to you, the saint so-and-so comes to you, that's not from God. How could it be? If Mary was that big of a deal, trust me, the apostles have been telling us about it. You need to pray to her, you need to worship her, she'll visit you. Know, no, this is not in the Bible. So people, well-meaning people, can be deceived because the devil can masquerade, right? How many people does he deceive with these things? Again, with the hyper-charismatics, I've noticed that some of them, whether I see it online or on you know, TBN or you know, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, I think there's another network kind of similar to them. And I, I remember observing people just talking about angels, oh, talking with angels and visiting with them and all these things. Like it's a normal thing. Oh, I got one here all the time and he helps me with this and yada, yada. Well, I'm sure they are. They're all around this room. I guarantee it. But to, to converse with them in some manner as if it's like Saturday afternoon with a friend over a cup of coffee, I don't think that's right. Because <laughs> in my Bible, they're always like, don't be afraid, right? And then they speak something true from God, and it always happens. And it's not some weird, just social, whatever. I don't know. Up in Bethel, in Reading. I listen to it on YouTube. You can listen to her vlog if you want, or blog, or whatever it is. Her name is Benny Johnson. She's the pastor's wife, I believe. I think she's also a co-pastor. She describes something so strange and bizarre about angels. Some encounter that, that somebody else had, and she took over this type of thing. She's traveling. I think she was on her way to Sedona, which is this kind of spiritual place, kind of like a Mount Shasta kind of thing, I think. And she felt impressed to pull off on the side of the road, and she got out, and she realized there were these sleeping angels, and she had to wake them up. So she got out of shofar, a big horn, ram's horn like the Jews have, blew the horn, rang the bell, and yelled, Wakey, wakey. I'm not joking. She says it. You can watch her if you want. She wakes up those sleeping angels. They all get kind of high on the Holy Spirit as they leave. And, and everybody in the church is like, oh, yeah, that's amazing. And you're like, that's weird. What good is that? Did somebody get saved? I don't think so. What's happening here? This is this very bizarre and strange thing that people can get into. I'm not saying she's worshiping the angels, but something weird is going on. Because when people encounter angels in the Bible, it's a whole other story, right? Plus, by the way, they don't sleep. They don't have bodies. They don't get tired. You don't have to wake them up.
How does all this craziness happen? What does the Bible say? Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. And he has lost, here it is, he's lost connection with the head. That's how you get that craziness. Because you are no longer connected to Christ, but you're a spiritual person. And the devil can masquerade. Oh, you can come up with all kinds of craziness. And this is in our churches with a lot of good, well-meaning people trying to love God. I'm not trying to say Bethel's all, you know, they're all totally messed up. So I, there's a lot of people I think that love God, totally. But there's something wrong, right? And that's just one of many in our world and in our nation that follow these types of practices. Two thousand years ago, it was creeping into the church. Huh. Should we be surprised? It's still there. One more thing. I'll delay this just a little longer, just because I think it's it's worth talking about. Have you ever heard of these folks who say they've been to heaven and then come back and tell you all about it? That's been going on since forever. That you know, people have said these kind of things. And I don't know. Sometimes you think, well, I don't know. What do I think? And I, I, don't, I can't give conclusive thoughts on everything. I don't know. But here's just a couple. Paul in the Bible talks about getting caught up into the third heaven. Okay, we have three heavens, so to speak, biblically. You've got the first heaven where the wind is right now and the birds. Third, the second heaven is where the stars and the universe is. Third heaven would be the presence of God. Okay? So he talked about that, and we'll get to what Paul's experience in a moment. But I remember it was like a TBN kind of thing, and I was flipping around someday, somewhere. I don't have those channels, but years ago, I think I saw this on somebody's TV. I think my mother-in-law's. I don't know. And these pastors were sitting there talking casually about being caught up into the third heaven. Like it just happens regularly, like multiple times. And they're, they were talking to angels, and they're talking to so-and-so, and, and God, or this. And it was just like a normal conversation of being caught up into heaven. I'm like, what? So I'm pretty sure if you and I get caught up into heaven, we're going to be face down on the ground worshiping and praising, we're going to be overwhelmed in the presence of God, right? One holy angel freaks people out when they get visited. Can you imagine being in heaven? You know, just hanging out, having a cup of coffee, talking to Mr. So-and-so there. So these things are going on. Huh. I did a quick YouTube search, went to YouTube, said, uh, caught up into the third heaven. Oh my. There's all kinds of videos about this very thing. People have been all caught up into heaven and what their experiences. And I couldn't look, listen to them all or anything. I just like, I picked one and glanced at a couple others. Oh, I found one pastor, I think that Scrivener fellow, he could take you to the third heaven. Right in the middle of the sermon, he could just take you there. And I listened to part of it and I was like, ah, that's enough. But this other guy talked about his, his visit to the third heaven and what God told him. And I was like, I don't know, man. That doesn't sound like something the Bible would say is okay. So people are talking about these types of things. But I tell you what, if I told you today that I was in the third heaven yesterday talking with Peter and Paul and stuff. I don't know what you'd think of me, but you might be like, ooh, right? And man, our pastor is super spiritual. Because I think that's the point of the false prophets hmm, here in this church. But now let's look at the Apostle Paul. When he was caught up into the third heaven, did he come back and brag and boast about all the stuff that, that he talked about and that he got to see? Oh, okay, a little homework there. Second Corinthians 12, if you want to check that out. 2 Corinthians 12, good to bring a notebook to church. 
But let me summarize it for you. When he was, a, okay, we don't know how he got there. One time he got hauled out of the city and they stoned him. You always have to explain that this day. He didn't get high. They threw rocks at him until he died. That was called biblical stoning. But if you don't say that, people are like, he got high. Huh? It's in the Bible. Anyway, therefore, I can smoke pot. Anyway, they tried to kill him. They left him for dead outside the city. Maybe he did die. Maybe he did go to heaven. And God brought him back. We don't know exactly how it all happened. In fact, Paul doesn't understand it. When you read it, he's like, I'm not really sure how this all happened. But anyway, whether in the body or out of the body, he says, when he was there in the third heaven, he said that he heard things that were inexpressible, inexpressible, things that man was not permitted to tell. Probably he heard things that couldn't be spoken of anyway, because they're so magnificent. There's no words in English or whatever language, Hebrew, for that. Also, God barred him from saying a word about it. God forbid, he went to heaven for crying out loud. Tell us, Paul, tell us. And he said, God wouldn't let me tell anything. Huh. So God forbid him to come back and make YouTube videos about it. Get online on TBN and talk about his great experiences. God forbid him to do such a thing. In fact, he said it took him 14 years. It was 14 years ago. It took 14 years. He was a little slow getting around to even mentioning it happened. <laughs> he kept that one to himself, apparently, for a while. But that's not it. That's not all. Do you know what else God did for him? God afflicted him with a thorn in his flesh. A physical agony and suffering and pain in his life for the rest of his life <laughs> to keep him humble so he wouldn't become arrogant over the amazing things he saw in heaven. Wow! Can you imagine? I'll let you see heaven, then I'm not going to let you say anything about it, and then I'm going to give you a pain in your flesh for the rest of your life just to keep you humble. Thanks, Lord. Oh. <laughs> but you know what? He got to see heaven. <laughs> Probably made the pain worth it. But does that sound like the guys on YouTube or on TBN or what? If you ever find out an experience, I'm pretty sure it's not the same. They're boasting and bright. What are they doing? Their unspiritual mind is puffing them up with the idle notions. And they're going into the great details about what they've seen. This scripture just works with these things. That's why I'm delaying and, and talking about this this morning. But it's a reality in our world. So what you hear on TV, what you may visit in churches or a friend or something, I don't know. we got access to all kinds of things with the internet and so forth today. So let's just be very careful and discerning. And God does amazing things. He does miracles. He heals people. He does supernatural things. Expect it. But yet it all has to line up with the scripture. Okay? And if it doesn't, then throw it out. There's no point. We don't want to lose connection with the head. We don't want to be disqualified for the prize. Hmm. Okay. Well, I've lingered there. But God does give dreams and visions and prophecies. The Bible talks about these things. But it all has to go with the Scripture. All has to go with the Scripture. Verse 20. We're going to go through the section kind of fast. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. 
Verse 20 there, you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world. I plan on saying much about dying with Christ to this world, but um, that'll come, Lord willing, next week in chapter 3, because it's, it's, re, it's reiterated, and we'll go into detail there, so I won't spend much time there. But we are, when we come to faith in Jesus, we have to die to our sinful old life, repent, turn away, and now we live a new life with Jesus. We had a baptism last week. Beautiful, right? That's what baptism means. Uh, Romans chapter 6 Verses 3 through 4 talks about that. When you go under the water, it's like dying with Jesus to our sin. And what a picture of the sin, sin being washed away, right? And then as we come up out of the water, it's like being raised to life with Jesus into new everlasting life. What an awesome picture. More baptisms, Lord. More baptisms. So we have to die to these basic sinful principles of this world. Now, he does here say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And sometimes we can misinterpret that a little bit because what he's talking about here is the rules and the regulations that the false teachers had been peddling. Way back up in chapter or, uh, verses 16 and 17, we talked about, probably talking about the dietary laws, do not taste, do not touch. If you touch that, you become unclean like the Old Testament ceremonial law. So I think that's what he's referring to there. Though some people look at it and can say, okay, we're supposed to die to our old life. Therefore, we do not handle, taste, or touch the sinful things of this world. That's totally a biblical view, but probably not the correct interpretation here. But that's totally what the Bible does teach. Just maybe not right there. Because it says in verse 22, these are all destined to perish. These little laws and regulations that the false teachers are also trying to get the people to obey. They're destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. They were commands of God, but now Jesus fulfilled them. And if then man commands you to go back to them, it's a human teaching, not a teaching from God. Hmm. It says, verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Well, if we have uh, lots and lots of rules and regulations, it could look pretty special. Ooh, spiritual, right? With their self-imposed worship. Like one translation said, man-made uh, worship. I think we like to make rules and stuff. And I think a few for a body of Christ is good to help us stay within the framework of the Bible. Sure. But people get all crazy. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you know, men can have, only have long sleeves and you can't have a beard. And women, boy, you're sinning because you're not wearing a dress today. And, you know, <laughs> all these types of things. Lots and lots of legalism. So man loves to impose this self-imposed worship. But the problem is people start paying attention more to that than they do to Jesus and the gospel. And he goes on, their false humility, we talked about that, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They're peddling this. If you're harsh to your body, you follow our rules and regulations, boy, you won't be a sinner anymore. You'll, you'll uh, restrain that sensual in, uh, indulgence that you're fighting against. And the Bible says, that's not going to work. That's not how you get rid of sin. Think about the harsh treatment of the body. Have you ever heard this word, asceticism? There were the ascetics. Okay, asceticism. Um, it's this idea that you kind of treat your body harshly in order to become closer to God and become more spiritual. And outwardly, you can go, ooh, look at those people. The little monk who lives by himself and eats just bread and water. How spiritual he is. That, that type of a form of asceticism. I don't know how much is practiced today, but we did have a group for a while, monks particularly, that, that fell into this. They should have read Colossians 2.23. It has no value in restraining their sin. I think the motive may have been good, but these guys, they went out and they lived. Some of them, they called them hermits. 
And they lived out in the desert and they abused themselves and people, they would whip themselves, whip themselves, right? Trying to just curb the flesh and only think of holy things and not lust anymore. And, but it didn't work. Because that's not how you get rid of sin, right? They would beat themselves. There was, um, they would wear these things called hair shirts. I don't know if you've heard of that. This horribly rough clothing that would just chafe them bad and hurt them underneath. They would tie cords around their limbs and chains around their limbs all day long just to, just to cause pain and agony in the body. I read about one woman who slept on a hard board every other day for an hour and a half for years. What is that? Well, I bet she saw angel visions of all kinds of sorts, right? Sleep dep- deprivation. <laughs> who knows what she was saying? One guy, he slept in the bushes but he would never lay down, but he'd sleep in the thorn bushes standing up. The one group, they called them the grazers. They would just eat grass on the hills. That's all they ate for years. Okay. Wonder how holy they were. Just weird. Severe fasting. Now, fasting is a good biblical principle we should employ, but not to some extreme level where we're harming ourselves. The motive may have been good, but that's not how you become holy. It does, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I don't know that we've entered into that realm at all, but we want to be careful that we don't think that somehow if I'm mean to my body, that'll help me to love God more, right? No, that's, that's not the case. Hmm. If those poor monks had just read this portion of the Bible, right? Hmm. But when you stray from the word of God, you can be capable of all kinds of ungodly things. Now, they have a scripture they hang it on, but it's misinterpreted. We won't get into that. But So, there's our passage for today. So, as we come to prayer, what did God say to you? Hmm. Do you need to examine your pride? I think I always do. To see if I have a veneer of humility or if it's really running deep down into my soul. Are you staying in connection with Jesus, the head? Or are you straying off into other things? Maybe there's somebody on TV or the radio or some book you've read and there was some wacky stuff and you've been following some of those ideas and thoughts and you need to turn from that. I have no idea. Maybe you need to make sure that you really surrender and die to the sinful practices of this world. We'll talk more about that next week. Father in heaven, thank you for scripture. Thank you that though it was, I'm just always amazed, Lord, so long ago written, it's totally relevant to my life today, our life, the church. And the devil really hasn't changed any. And our temptations haven't changed much either. Hmm. And your word is truth. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much you gave us the words of God and preserved it all these years so they could read it and apply it to our lives. Lord, we pray for forgiveness for our pride. Lord, help us to examine our lives. And if we just have a thin veneer, we say, forgive us, Jesus. We pray that that humility would soak down into the bone, into the marrow, and transform our lives. 
whether we walk into Walmart, work, home, down the street, that we might not judge anyone unfairly or think ourselves superior. Oh, forgive us, Jesus. Who are we? Who are we? But by your grace, we have been saved and live and move and have our being. So we choose to humble ourselves, yes, but not on our own power this morning. We, wanna, we want the divine power from the shed blood of Jesus in your resurrection to consume our lives that we might find a deep humility, Lord, please. We want nothing in common with these false, wretched teachers. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and the gospel that saves. And don't let the devil get us sidetracked, Lord, onto even good things, but too much of things that aren't the truth or the, the, the core of the gospel. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your authority. Bless your people today. In Christ I pray. Amen.